Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Time for the week trending and Brianna Parkins and John Gibbons are with us today for that. Brianna, would you pay more than 10 euro for a pint in Ireland? It feels unconstitutional, doesn't it? It feels like this should be included in the referendum. Like, is this what is a the, cut-off point in which no more, we cannot pay more than 10 euro for a pint? It's a disgrace, Matt. Um, I think this was sort of foreshadowed. Uh, if you ever are fans of the Gindex out there, it was a website put together by um, students doing impressively you know, important degrees in science and data and mathematics. And they decided the best use of their talents would be to collate this website where everyone can put in its user um, user source data so you can put in the aim was to map every uh, pint price in every pub across Ireland and they've, they've got a pretty good coverage. What a noble cause. Yeah I checked back unfortunately it seems to have fallen away by the wayside a little bit it hasn't been updated on their socials but it has been updated up to 2023 in some pubs and they were heading towards the over 9 euro mark back in 2019. But it's so in Temple Bar of course that has gone over the 10 quid. Well the, when I interviewed the founders back in 2019 one of them said that the whole one of the purposes of the project was to determine whether Temple Bar was really the scourge on everyone's pockets as projected. Um, and he was correct there. I think Oliver St. Gogarty's was always up there. The Temple Bar namesake pub was always up there. So I think this 10-year breach has been a long time coming. Okay, you have a nice way of pronouncing the Oliver St. John Gogarty pub. <laughs> uh, John, what do you think? Will there come... This is, I suppose, a perennial. Yeah, I remember, if, well, if it goes past five euro, I'm never paying it. Or back in the old days, if it goes past two pounds before the euro is introduced, I'm not paying for that. That'll put me off my drink and people continue to drink. Yeah, we, we just never know where the tipping point is. on. The, oh, oh, sorry, forgive dad me. Dad joke. I know. <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, obviously the pub in question here, Merchants Arch, I suppose it's, this is really the Temple Bar tax, right? I think most of us who live around here, uh, when we see Temple Bar, we just keep going and we feel mildly sorry for the tourists who, who, who are sort of been directed in there. And they must wonder, like, what terrible value they're getting in Dublin. I mean, my typical uh, tipple would be, would be a pint of Guinness and that varies depending on where, where I'm drinking, probably between maybe six euro and six euro fifty. Now, I have a slight bit of uh, sympathy for the publicans here because, you know, you can nurse a pint comfortably for the guts of an hour. So, from the point of view of the margin that the publican gets out of somebody going in and having, you know, three pints of Guinness over the course of an evening, it's probably pretty low. Whereas if the people sitting across from them are having shorts and, and so on, they're probably making a hell of a lot more money. So I do kind of understand. Having said that, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be racing into You're getting Brianna's raised eyebrow to that. <laughs> um, I also think this is also, we might see more, maybe pubs reaching the, the, the 10 euro um, you know, crisis point, but we'll see pints go up. Diageo has up their, their prices in pubs. I expected to pay about 12 uh, cents more per pint of Guinness, and this was after raises last year as well. So you're also facing that, and then you've also got the changes to VAT coming in. So we could be seeing you know, this across the board, really. Now, something else which is sort of linked to this a little bit, which is a bit shocking, is, you know, if we talk about having a nighttime czar and encouraging later opening hours, but do people actually want it? Because it seems the nighttime economy is falling away. Apparently, there are only 70 nightclubs across the state. Yeah, and this is a big reduction. Um, on News Talk last year, uh, they had that number at 85. So there's been 15 that have that have gone to the wall or closed down in the last year. A lot of that's to do with the pandemic. Um, changing habits has also been uh, sort of publicans coming out and talking about, or nightclub owners 
talking about sort of the state of our taxis, especially outside of, of the major cities, it's very hard to get a taxi. People don't want to go out late at night because they're not assured they can get back to their house. So there's a few factors leading into this. Um, I think the Independence Entertainment Reporter tracked, she tracked that there was 522 um, Irish pubs opened 23 years ago. And so that's a huge amount. Like, what were we doing with 522 pubs back in the 2000s? Sorry, nightclubs back in the 2000s. Nightclubs, yeah. Um, that's a huge, huge decline. So whether it's, are we are we changing or is it the fact that it's too hard to go out? John, what are younger people missing out on? I mean, I would have spent my 20s and my early 30s before children started arriving in the likes of Lily's, Reynard's, Leeson Street, coming out at six o'clock in the morning. It's all part of growing up. What are all these young people now missing out on? That's the question. I think, obviously, there's probably a fair bit, on, and I see it among um, the young folks in, in my neck of the woods where they're kind of meeting in gaffs. So they're kind of meeting and prinking, as they say, the, the pre-drinks. That's, yep. that's a really big thing now, which of course keeps the cost down. And oftentimes they're, they're actually going to one another's gaffs, especially if they can get rid of the parents uh, or, or if they have the gaff to themselves. Uh, to, to Probably a lot of this is to avoid going into town because, you know, you, you go into they town... Say it's too expensive. Yeah, it's way too expensive. And it's a crazy thing. Like we, the, 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 the dart is 40 years old this year. And when that dart was first introduced, it stopped running at 11.30 at night. Here we are, 40 years later, we have a nighttime economy where way more people are working late, we've got shifts and so on, and the dart is still shutting down at 11.30. In fact, if you're trying to get from Bray back to the city, the last dart out of Bray uh, is about seven or eight minutes past 11. Brianna, is this happening in Australia as well? It depends where you've been, but it's been, it's been the trend, especially in Sydney. Now, remember, we had lockout laws, so we had two one-punch deaths or, you know, what we call a coward punch where someone is standing there, walking along, they get hit in the back of the head or to the side. Um, two young men, it was a tragedy and there was sort of a knee-jerk reaction to change the, the licensing laws. So you had to be inside a, a pub or a club by 1am, otherwise they were not going to let you out. You couldn't change pubs or clubs and everything had to be finished by 3am. This was a big blow to a city that had day nightclubs. So these were nightclubs that opened at 6am and they went on till 6pm the next day. So it really never shut down. That uh, Those rules have been brought, have been scaled back, but the nighttime economy hasn't recovered yet. They had to re- appoint someone similar to a night czar or a nightmare. What we, I love the nightmare. That's such a great term, <laughs> by the way. Um, they've tried to bring that back, but those communities and that culture takes a long time to build up organically. You can't just change that overnight. It'll be a long time before we see those that damage reverse. So I think legislation has a lot to do with it. I think you know these licensing laws hopefully will give people more choices, more spaces to go in the evening. And I think it will also help solve that taxi issue that we have, especially in December, where everyone's coming out at once and you can't get a taxi. Listener Jordan in Clinice says, I work in, co- in a college and most of the students at undergrad don't drink as much compared to when I was in college. Younger people want more experiences. Drinking is not as much a thing nowadays. And you've been looking at some Gen Z sleeping patterns, John, I believe. Uh, that, that's right, Matt. This is um, a study that was published in the Wall Street Journal and... Uh, uh, they're arguing that uh, for the Gen Z, nine yeah, sorry, nine p.m. is the new, uh, is the hot new bedtime, right? So apparently, so for not for middle-aged, tired people, but for for twenty-something. So I have to say, I'm taking this with a very large dollop of Why? plan. I, I'm just not buying it now. Again, maybe I'm I'm working from uh, a close sample of the Gen Z. Uh, 
in my own household and they're only beginning to rev up around about nine o'clock. In fact, they're hoping that, that the parents are, are putting on the slippers and getting the cocoa and heading off to bed at that stage so they can, they can get out and about. So I see them literally he- heading for the doors nine o'clock, ten o'clock. And you were saying to me before we came in, you have a suspicion that actually this generation is actually going to bed to bring their mobile phones with them so they don't have to communicate with people like you. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's a, a strong incentive in itself, I'll give you that. But I do think what we've seen, for example, since the introduction of the smartphone and since it's really become a thing, uh, people are sleeping less. We're getting fewer hours sleep. And this isn't just for kids. This is right across the board. Adults, for example, are getting up slightly earlier to spend some quality time sneaking away with their phone. So people waking half an hour earlier than they have to get up so they can, you know, scroll and whatever. So we're seeing quite a lot of that. I'm, I'm backing John's cynicism here because it was the 2000 and tw- the, the data was from 2022, which was still kind of seeing a bit of leftover pandemic yeah. kind of restrictions. So yeah, of course they're going to bed at 9pm. Um, and there's also some research, but it's, it's there are some, there's a lot of research out there that show that Gen Z are more sensible in terms of they drink less and they're also doing less drugs in previous generations at that same age point. So there is evidence to suggest that they are a healthier bunch. You see, and they also do more foreign travel to get more experiences, but John would take that away from them by putting carbon taxes on flights Here we and go. stuff. They can catch Here we go. <laughs> they can go interrailing. <laughs> yes, they can. We need to take a break. Brianna Parkinson, John Givens, more in the week trending. And we will talk about the Russian and Israeli ambassadors to Ireland when we come back. John Gibbons and Brianna Parkins are conducting the week trending for us and certainly two people who very much featured this week, Brianna, were the Russian and Israeli ambassadors to Ireland. What do they get up to now? Yeah, they're, they're very, I think out of all the ambassadors living in Ireland, they're probably one of the two of the busiest. Uh, if they came here hoping for a cruisy job, they, you know, recent world events has, uh, you know, thrown that out the window. But uh, Yuri Filatov, I would say that Michal Martin is definitely off Russian ambassadors, Yuri Filatov's Christmas card list. Um, he has uh, said it's unconscionable that Michal Martin said that there was no question that uh, the Russian opposition leader who was... Uh, Alexei Navalny. Last week, I, I, was, I didn't want to say murder, it was found dead in um, circumstances that haven't come to light yet. Uh, he was basically killed by Moscow and that's what uh, Michal Martin was asserting, um, which Yuri Filatov said is unconscionable. And he also said that um, anything to do or any assertions that uh, Alexei, you know, who was serving time in a penal, Connell, penal Connolly in a really harsh part of the Arctic Circle that had nothing to do with it and anyone who says so is just pure hearsay. So he's had a busy a busy week on the denials. Okay, and then of course you had the Israeli ambassador and uh, she was attacking what how we in Ireland report on what's happening in Gaza, John. This is uh, Dana Elric. That's right. Uh, she was complaining that uh, we in Ireland have a, have a one-sided view of the of the conflict in Gaza. And I think there's some truth to that. I think, for example, in Ireland, as elsewhere around the world, on October 7th, there was a very one-sided view of the outrage that happened that day, for sure. And I think in the four months since October the 7th, there's been a very one-sided view of the fact that one side is massacring the other side. So I think uh, her complaint, apparently, is that we should uh, somehow balance up uh, the, the death and 
injury of over 100,000 people now between death and serious 30, injury. 30,000 deaths yeah. and a multiple of but, that who yeah, have been and, seriously and injured uh, and who have all lost their homes and who have been forced to move. First of all, having been told to get out of northern Gaza, then they were chased down into southern Gaza. Yeah, and it, it's it's pretty clear uh, that, that we're looking here at a full-scale 21st century ethnic cleansing project. And it seems, I mean, the, the, the Israeli... Uh, political class have been quite upfront about it. I mean, they're, they're not even making bones about it. And the IDF, the, the so-called uh, Israeli Defense Forces, I mean, they're making TikTok videos dancing on the, on the bodies of, of, of dead Palestinians and uh, mocking and blowing up uh, mosques. Are those real now? Can we be sure? Oh, they're, oh, they're absolutely real. Not only that, Matt, but a telegram channel was discovered. Basically, a snuff telegram channel was discovered that was actually being uh, run by... Uh, elements within the IDF and that snuff channel was putting out images of Palestinians being murdered, being urinated on and so on. It's really, really tough stuff and it was traced back to the IDF. Because They're really enjoying this. The Israelis think the Irish are the most anti-Semitic in Europe and they feel that our media is all biased and one-sided. I mean, you're come from Australia, you're living here about five years now at mm-hmm. this stage. How would you assess how the Irish media treats Israel and Gaza compared to what you would have seen in Australia and elsewhere? Very different. Very different. Uh, there would be a few reasons for this. Um, we would have much more of a Jewish and Israeli population. Now, those two groups are, are different. Not all, all Jewish people are Zionists and have links to Israel. But we would have much more of um, a community, especially of Holocaust survivors. So that colours things a little bit as well. Um, you have to also remember that we also, uh, Israeli donors to political parties in Australia, that's a big thing. Um, and even there's a lot of pressure put on journalists. So at the minute, the ABC has taken uh, an employee, well, she was a contractor off air for sharing what was essentially, she, she's Lebanese-Australian, but she shared um, a infographic from Human, Human Rights Watch. You could argue that that is not uh, displaying a political opinion, that is a reshare of you know, a human rights organisation. She was taken off air and it's been revealed that text messages from a prominent member of the Israeli lobby in Australia um, sent texts to you know, a very senior person at the ABC and that's how the call was made. So that's the kind of pressure Australian journalists are facing at the minute. So I'd say that there's more pressure to be extremely even-handed sometimes when the story doesn't demand that. And in Ireland, there's maybe less fear of being called anti-Semitic or you're less fear for displaying opinion, but it is like much more one-sided in Ireland, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay, but there was extensive condemnation of the horrors committed by Hamas originally. But unless you say that every time you get accused in highlighting the atrocities by Israel of somehow being anti-Semitic, it's possible to say simultaneously that you think that all the things that have happened are appalling and that there is no justification for how Israel has gone about... uh, going after those it holds responsible for October 7th. I mean, it's really interesting on my on my Instagram feed, I would see journalists, other colleagues who are not Israeli, who are not Jewish, um, you know, posting exclusively only about what has happened to Jewish people and Israeli people um, and not mentioning the other side as well. So it does definitely seem there to be maybe less balance. Uh, and there was I mean, a really interesting statement from the Israeli uh, Prime Minister, I think when Archie interviewed him, saying, "Look, there's you know, Ireland has never complained about the atrocities 
um, committed against Israel and deaths that have happened to us from Hamas in the way that they've complained about what's been happening in Gaza. Okay. So they really see us as one-sided. Let's move on to other things. Um, what's this about rules for learner drivers not being enforced and disqualified drivers being continuing to go on the roads, John, no matter what, it seems? Yeah, it's a, it's a very curious story that's come to light. Uh, they're saying that fewer than 5% of people who are told to hand in their learner permits uh, following a conviction for a road traffic offence are actually complying with this, which is pretty incredible. So that means basically 95% of people who are instructed by the court to hand in their licence are not doing so, which I find absolutely incredible. I mean, for example, if you pick up penalty points, and I'm afraid I've picked up one or two over the years, um, it's automatically put on your licence. They send you a nice cross letter uh, through the post saying you've been a very naughty boy here's three points and see you in three years time it's completely automated that's why I was shocked to find out that when it comes to the, the non-automated part which is okay you've, you, you're going to lose your permit because of a conviction you, you have to hand it in and people are not handing it in and these are in, in incredible numbers Matthew. what do you make of this Brianna? I love that there's only one in 20 learner drivers told to hand back their licence, um, have actually done so. That's my favourite part, is the enforcement. It just seems to be like, yeah, look, I know you shouldn't be at this now. And the, one of the biggest uh, sort of offences committed by loaded drivers is not having a supervising driver in the car, which is a very serious thing, you would think, you know, if you're not, you know, qualified to invalidates your insurance. It's just, it just is terrifying. Uh, and in, like, I didn't realise this because I grew up in Australia where if you had a learner's licence and you were caught done doing like one kilometre over the speed limit. That's it, your learner licence was suspended and you had to go back and then you couldn't get to start your 180 hours or however much it is now all over again. It was really serious and you could face criminal charges straight off the bat. So to think you can be caught going over the speed limit by yourself with no supervising driver, still not have your licence taken off you, seems very dangerous. And if the law isn't enforced, John, then people just don't obey the laws, do they? Well, this this is clearly the issue here. There, there is an enforcement issue and it seems like an, a really simple fix. And the fix is that when the offence occurs, you hand your licence in in court on the day. You don't go off with your licence because surely after this coming to light, the only answer is that once the conviction is made, you say, right, you hand your, you hand your, your, your licence in to the court clerk and that's that. Brianna Parkins, describe the cover of Vanity Fair, please, that has Barry Keoghan on it. Um, it is Barry Keoghan um, in his birthday suit. Oh, Barry Keoghan not wearing very much. Yeah, I guess that's the best way I can describe it. Why? Um, I, <sighs> Barry Keoghan said he felt very vulnerable doing the shoot, but it was all part of the art and it was a homage to his character in Saltburn. And I think it's been really interesting. There's been a lot of cultural essays around... Barry Kogan and how he's been spoken about. Glamour magazine released one yesterday talking about we need to stop objectifying Barry Kogan. And the author made a really good point. There's been all these questions around, you know, uh, on the red carpet to other celebrities who worked with him saying, is that dance scene? Sorry, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Saltburn. There's a dance scene. Barry Kogan is hopping around naked. There is something swimming, swinging in the breeze. We don't know whether it's real or a prosthetic, but there's been great interest to reporters, you know, asking people on the red carpet. And this journalist said, look, that would be really offensive if, that was a, if Barry Kogan was a woman. So it's kind of twisted what you, we you think know, of it. It reminds me, I've suddenly come back to mind, one of the most iconic Vanity Fair covers was when Demi Moore posed when she naked when she was pregnant. That's right, she was heavily pregnant and, and uh, that, that certainly got, got, 
Gotham talking, but of course, you know, for for a woman to be uh, naked is now considered to be a little bit passe. So obviously, it's it's more edgy apparently for yeah. for men to be, and I guess that's what this is about. So the question is whether it's art or arse. I think that's really the question that that sort of hangs in the air, Matt, this afternoon. I think we're more interested in Barry Keoghan's sudden tan. That's been like there's an excellent meme about you know Barry Keoghan got some money and now he's very very orange and then it's such an Irish thing to do. Um, is you know when you start drawing attention to yourself, I've got to get a tan. Brianna Parkins and John Givens, thank you very much for the week trending. The last word with Matt Cooper, weekdays from four thirty. Today.